Welcome to Extraterrestrial Reality. Uh, today we're going to talk about a few very interesting topics. Uh, one of them is related to an alleged UFO crash that occurred in Colorado in the early 1950s, uh, as well as some uh, debunker news that we need to go over. Uh, but we're going to start off with this uh, alleged crash that happened in uh, sometime in the early 1950s. Now, uh, just recently I picked up a copy of Magic Eyes Only by Ryan S. Wood. Uh, this is actually the, ex the expanded and updated second edition. Now, I, unfortunately for me, I did not uh, pick up the original edition, so now I'm very happy to add it to my library because the original edition was uh, going for a lot of money online because it was out of print. Uh, but there was, uh, I've been going through this book, there's a lot of interesting stories in there, and some of them I, I never heard of before, including this one right here. Uh, this is something that happened in the early 1950s in Colorado, and it's an example, I believe, uh, of potential uh, newspaper uh, men getting pressured by the military to not talk about what they know with regard to a UFO crash. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> this was a report that was written by the late R.E. Thull in the year 2000. Uh, he ended up passing away in 2007, but uh, in 2000 he wrote about what he knew uh, about a, an alleged crash that occurred in uh, the, sometime during the early 1950s. This guy, uh, Thull, was a pilot for 50 years. Uh, he made a living flying for 42 of those 50 years. And uh, he states here in this, uh, this was a, a letter that was apparently written to uh, Ryan Wood. It says here, his first sighting happened in the early 1950s within 200 miles or so of Denver, Colorado. He writes, it was mid-afternoon on a cloudless day when a, quote, government-employed, end quote, radio range operator sighted two UFOs. As he watched, one of them crashed on a nearby mountain. Then the remaining one circled the site for approximately 30 minutes. In those days, radio range operators were stationed across the country every one or 200 miles for the purpose of controlling air traffic. A commercial airliner passed that particular station shortly after the UFO crashed and made their required position report. Then the excited operator asked the flight crew to verify what he was watching. The flight crew did verify not the actual crash, but the circling craft. They, too, were quite excited and made a full report to the government-operated control tower at Denver. I was a co-pilot on another commercial aircraft in the vicinity at the time and was a silent witness to everything except the initial crash. So, uh, Thull was a witness. He also, in a different commercial airliner at the time, did see the, the second flying saucer, the one that didn't crash, circling around in this area. Now, all tower conversations are recorded, but somehow that one seems to have been misplaced. No information about it has ever been released, at least not to the public. The fact that this report was made to a government-controlled operations and was, quote, taken care of, end quote, so fast that it never made the newspapers uh, in, is definite proof in my mind and in many others that it was a government cover-up. Well, of course, it's proof that it was a government cover-up. They saw this, the, this pilot saw it, the co-pilot, uh, Thull at the time, he was a co-pilot, he saw it, the pilot saw it, pilots from other planes saw it. Uh, this radio tower operator, he saw it. So obviously it was covered up because we don't know about this. Uh, it was never made public by our government officials. If, in fact, this is a true story, which I have no reason to believe why it would be false. Uh, but 
Uh, then again, you never know. But uh, regardless, uh, there are UFO crashes and there are UFO retrieval uh, retrievals. Or, excuse me, there are crash retrievals of these craft when they do come down. We do know that uh, based on everything we know about Roswell as well as some other crashes. But anyway, continuing here, it says. The surviving UFO was a disc-shaped silverish craft that went by us so fast that I couldn't begin to estimate its speed, but I watched it from about 45 degrees to our rear to about the same ahead of us, where it left in a vertical climb and went out of sight. I asked my captain if he wanted to make a report, but he declined. It's already been reported and I don't want to get involved. Uh, he was well aware of the problems that other pilots had after reporting UFO. So obviously, people, pilots at that time, they, they knew to keep their mouths shut. They knew the the issues uh, uh, that they could face if they talked about these things. There was no further discussion on this matter because in those days, a co-pilot's job was controlled by the captain, and I liked my job very much. But this is where the inter the story takes a turn. It's uh, you usually don't get this part of the uh, of the stories when it comes to uh, crash retrievals outside of the Roswell case, which we will uh, talk about briefly. Anyway, it says here, I had a good friend, now deceased, who had a responsible position with one of the Denver newspapers at that time. That paper was known to monitor the Denver Tower's frequency for any irregularity that could be newsworthy. A short time after the incident that I had just related, we were both at a party when I nonchalantly asked if he knew anything about the UFO that crashed. Only that the material it was made of couldn't be identified, he said. Then I asked why the story wasn't made public. He hesitated before answering, realizing that he shouldn't have said what he did, but said, it was a do not print item. I came right back with, what the hell is a do not print item? It was very obvious that he didn't want to continue the conversation, but after more hesitating, he told me, a do not print item is something that the government thinks could panic the public. Then I really couldn't drop the subject and continued prodding. What could possibly be more upsetting to people than the news we get every day? And who decides what we should know or not know? You'd be surprised, was all he said. That was the response. So this newspaper man, whoever it was, we don't know if he was a reporter, if he was a publisher, if he was an editor, we don't know. It's not stated here. He never gave the guy's name. But this guy stated to him that uh, the material of this craft was could not be identified. It was obviously probably wasn't of Earth. Uh, and uh, that uh, when he asked him about... Uh, you know, who, who makes this decision? And this guy said, you'd be surprised. I'd like, I, I guess we would be surprised, wouldn't we? But I probably, we probably wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some executives that are in control of these media empires, if they're not part of this, uh, this cover-up as well. Anyway, continuing here, it says, then he would say no more, but I had to have more information and asked him where I might get it. My friend was normally an easygoing person, but he was getting upset with my questions and strongly advised me to forget all about it. Well, I have never forgotten it, and I never will, but I dropped the subject because I didn't want to jeopardize, jeopardize our friendship. So I found that story very interesting. Whether it's true or not, it's, we, we'll never know. Our government will probably never uh, re tell us about it if it, if it, was, if it's true. Uh, but it's par for the course when you when you look at it and you and you stack it up against other alleged UFO crashes or known UFO crashes. I think that Roswell should actually be considered a known actual crash of an extraterrestrial craft based on all the evidence. The Air Force has never ever uh, sufficiently debunked it. They never even came close to it based on all of the. Uh, 
uh, testimony from so many different people, uh, people who have signed affidavits, people who are with the military, who knew that they were uh, what they were, uh, that they were part of a cover-up. There were so many different citizens of Roswell who were threatened. I mean, it's just it's it's an endless list, and uh, so there's no. As far as I'm concerned, Roswell should be considered at this point as an actual uh, crash of an extraterrestrial uh, vehicle of some kind and recovery and cover-up. That's how that's what how it should be considered. Of course, it's not though. Uh, unfortunately, but you know, it's you know, they if this newspaper man or newspaper people were pressured at the time, somehow they might have found out about this. I mean, did they were they listening to the chatter over the uh, on the radio, uh, from the radio tower, and then they heard about this crash, so they rushed out to this site to see what was there. And when they get there, they, they find out some information, they find out they see the crash, maybe, but then are told, Hey, you can't publish this. I mean, what went down? We really don't know. That's all the, that's all the details of that story that we have, but it's nothing new. I mean, uh, if you look at the Roswell, uh, crash incident i mean there were uh people there news people that were threatened the local radio station for instance uh this is from uh roswell the ultimate cold case closed by thomas carey and donald schmidt on uh page 60 it says here roswell radio station kgfl had every intention of broadcasting the story of the century which is why its staff escorted rancher mac brazel to the private home of the station's majority owner walt whitmore senior and recorded brazel's testimony late into the evening of monday july 7th 1947 yeah after uh uh, brazel got back from uh showing uh, jesse marcel uh, the site of the of the debris field uh, out on his ranch after he got back that night Walt Whitmore the, the radio station owner took uh, Brazel back to his house because he wanted to get him to uh, he wanted to record his statement for the sh- for the show the next day so that's what happened he they did this late night recording with Mac Brazel and then it says here uh, at least there was there that at least that was their plan until the United States Army tracked their principal witness down and took custody of him early the next morning just outside the radio station. The wire recording was just as quickly confiscated confiscated. So they basically took the recording that uh, Whitmore had made the night before in his house of Mac Brazel uh, talking about the crashed flying saucer, the, the 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 debris on his field, and they confiscated that. Of course, as we all know, uh, Brazel changed his story uh, a couple days later after being in the custody of the United States Army. Continuing here, it says, efforts that same morning continued to disseminate preliminary news information to the local townspeople, but Washington was laser-pointed on New Mexico. Even after Brazel's interview was taken, Whitmore attempted to get the story out on the mutual broadcasting wire feed, but was unable to get a call through. Within an hour, George Judd Roberts, minority owner at the station, uh, received a long-distance person-to-person phone call from T.J. Slowey, the Executive Secretary of the Federal Communications Commission, FCC, which who warned him that the matter involved national security. Should KGFL air any further reports about the incident or anything that Brazel had described on the wire recording the night before, they would lose their license to broadcast within 24 hours, all for sex exercising their freedom of the press. And Slowey knew about and specifically mentioned the wire recording of Brazel. Hardly a coincidence. So they actually figured, they knew that he made that wire recording after Brazel was taken into custody by the military. Obviously, he told him he just made this wire recording. And that's why the FCC contacted Roberts and told him, don't do it or you're going to lose your license. So they were threatened. 
Uh, and that wasn't enough. And if that wasn't enough to squelch the story, another call to KGFL came from Washington a few minutes later. Such a two-man press was obviously coordinated. It was from New Mexico Senator Dennis Chavez, who strongly urged the radio station to do as the FCC had cautioned. And uh, they asked, Roberts asked him to, for his support on this. Hey, we want you to back us. You know what are you doing? But uh, unfortunately, Chavez indicated that the decision was out of his hands. And so with no recourse and the threat of the federal government putting them out of business, KGFL was forced to comply. So as we can see, I mean, there's been incidents over the years where uh, news media is uh, basically forced to keep quiet about these crashes uh, when they find out about them. Basically, they're pressured into it or they'll, who knows, I mean, they'll, they'll lose their broadcasting license. Who knows, maybe even get thrown in jail. Uh, it's very it's very uh, upsetting the whole thing, but uh, I don't know. I think that the story has some could could be true. You never know. It's only one witness. It's one of those. It, to me, it's like the uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri uh, crash of 1941. There's really only it's it's basically third hand information, second second hand, third hand information that we get for that, and that's pretty much it. There's not a lot to go on there, but there could be something to that one too. We just don't know. Uh, I think that the government has done an excellent job. This control group has done an excellent job of keeping things quiet about this reality for all these years. You have to wonder, I mean, uh, I, I think that at at the time when this started, when the cover-up started, I believe that they had it in their minds that we're going to figure out what these beings are up to. We're going to try to reverse engineer these craft and figure out how they tick. And I, th- I think they, they probably had it in their heads that it'll probably take a few years. Then we could come out and tell the public the truth. But I think after all these years, we're going on 80 years of this cover-up now, right? Around 80 years, uh, give or take. We really don't know when it started. For, by ni- 1947, for sure, but it could have started. It could have been going on uh, since 1941. We're not exactly sure. Uh, I, I think that, you know, what happened is they just never figured it out. I mean, I think they're embarrassed at this point, too. I mean, they would have to be, wouldn't they? Uh, I think there's a, a sense of embarrassment that they'd never be able to, that they have... They probably haven't been able to reverse engineer anything, right? None of this stuff. They probably have figured nothing out. Maybe they were inspired by some of the wreckage that they've discovered, that they uh, found at these crash sites, but that's about it. I don't think that they ever figured out exactly how these things work. If they had, we I think we would have known about it by this point. But I think it's beyond now. It's be, It's gone so for, on for so many years. They're just too afraid to tell the truth. They're too afraid of not only the reaction of, of, of people that there, you know, there probably is some concern about that, how the world's going to react to the reality that we're not alone in this universe. Uh, but it's also going to be, it's going to make governments across the world look like, uh, like they're a bunch of bums for keeping this to themselves for as long as they have. That, that's part of it. They're embarrassed. They, they've never been able to uh, properly reverse engineer these things. And, and this is where we're at. But anyway, I thought that that was a very interesting story to share about this uh, alleged uh, crash in Colorado of uh, Flying Saucer. Uh, I recommend Magic Eyes Only if you're interested in uh, UFO crash uh, stories because there's a lot of them in there. Uh, And I'm glad that this book has been reprinted. Anyway, uh, I want to move on. I want to talk about something uh, that happened on Wikipedia. Now, as many of you know, I recently did a podcast uh, about... uh, 
Wikipedia and about how uh, the guerrilla skepticism of Wikipedia organization is uh, makes changes to they swoop in as as soon as you make a change it seems like they uh, within hours they'll swoop in and make changes I was talking about my experience with uh, uh, one of the Wikipedia pages with regards to the report on unidentified flying objects which was a book that was published in 1956 it was written by a former uh, UFO or excuse me a former Air Force uh, Captain Edward Ruppelt, uh, who had left the Air Force, he retired, and then he wrote this book. He was actually the first head of Project Blue Book. And there were some things, there were changes that I made in that. Um, and uh, one, I made a sm- slight change in it, and then a uh, one of these guerrilla skeptics swooped in, uh, had to add in some his two cents to make it sound like, it, like uh, and Majestic 12 documents are bogus and, and hoaxes and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I let that go. I didn't try to make any changes to what this guy made uh, had uh, put in there. I just, okay, that's, that's fine. But then I went back in and I actually made some additional changes. There was actually some uh, one paragraph in there that basically had false information. But now one of the uh, Wicca, one of those guerrilla skeptics again, the, the by the, who goes by the name of Lucky Louie, that person has swooped in and reverted all of, took all my changes out and reverted it back to the way it used to be, and uh, including by he re, uh, putting in that false information that was there previously. So I'm going to pull this up on screen so you can see it. So this is the uh, this is the Wikipedia page I'm talking about. It's the report on unidentified flying objects, and I'm logged in here as a user called Shark Fisherman. And uh, if you check out, I'm going to check out the history here. We're going to go to the history. I'm going to show. I'm going to show you the changed uh, changes that were just made. Okay, this is what Lucky Louie did. Uh, we could see what what I had in there and what he has reverted it back to. Now uh, let's just pull it down here. Now, one of the changes I made was uh, I, there was a statement in there saying uh, that was discussing Majestic 12, and uh, it says here that the um, oh, let me pull it up here a little bit more, uh, and 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 it was talking about Majestic 12 and the uh, the Twining Memo and the Cutler Twining Memo. It says here the Twining Memo should not be confused with the Cutler Twining Memo dated July 14, 1954, included as part of the alleged Majestic 12 documents in 1985. Then I changed a, uh, a sentence here where I said, where I changed it to, the FBI declared those documents to complete to be completely bogus, and some ufologists consider them to be an elaborate hoax. I changed the the word that I had changed was uh, I used to say many, and I changed it to some because you can't. You, you, there's no many implies a lot, so I decided that I think that that should just say some. I know that there's some ufologists out there who believe that the uh, that consider the MJ-12 documents an elaborate hoax uh, or bogus, right? And uh, so, uh, but you, there's no polling done. We know that some of them do. There's no polling ever, has ever been done that, that, that implies that many. I mean, so I just decided that was just a small little change. But now, uh, Lucky Louie has reverted that back to uh, uh, the word many. Uh, but then the other change I made was the original version uh, said that no, no, when they're talking about this, there was another section in this article that talked about the estimate of the situation, which was a document that was uh, 
put forth in 1948 by the uh, Project Sign, the first uh, Air Force group to study UFOs. And uh, Edward Ruppelt talked about this in his book, in his 1956 book. He saw a copy of this. And the original version said, no copy of this document or any other corroboration of Ruppelt's claim has been produced. Right? And uh, I, that's, that was a false statement. That's, that's wrong. That's, and I actually changed it to, no copy of this document has been produced, but Ruppelt's assertion that it existed was corroborated by Air Force Major Dewey Furnett, quote, who prepared an affidavit in the late 1950s that confirmed the document's existence. So I put that, that statement in there, and, uh, and I had it cited. I took it from... Uh, uh, UFOs and the National Security State, Chronology of a Cover-Up, 1941 to 1973 by Richard Dolan. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, Lucky Louie changed it back in, to have that false information, even though I stated, I stated that that was false. And in the notes, I stated that that was a false, that was that information that was in there previously was false. But Lucky Louie took it upon himself to change it back uh, to the way it was, which is, contains false information. Another aspect in my revision that uh, that I did was I re I had removed a comment in there from uh, that was uh, uh, cited to Popular Mechanics. I just didn't think it was necessary. It said uh, the Popular Mechanics uh, comment said uh, and Popular Mechanics called the report probably more mythological than real. So, uh, talking about the estimate of the situation, saying it was probably more mythological than real. Like I pointed out that that's. That's an unresearched comment. That's just someone's opinion. Why are we putting in opinions in here, like from a debunker who did no research on it, that just says probably more mythological than real, although we have people who state it, that they saw it, and that they handled it, and that, that was a real document. But for but that's they have to do this. This group, this guerrilla skeptics, they have to make the changes. And what was his reasoning? Uh, he says here, the, the the reason that he restored this uh, to the revision that was in there before was to undo the fringe push. There's a fr basically calling this a fringe push. Let me tell you something, folks. There's nothing fringe about facts. The fact that another witness saw the uh, uh, estimate of the situation and actually prepared an affidavit for in the late 1950s to, to you know to that effect i mean that's 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 a fact i mean i'm not i'm not putting in there in, in crazy ufo theories or what or whatever they perceive i'm doing i'm actually putting in a fact i'm replacing false information with real information with factual information but but lucky louie took that out see what the pro the problem that i have here is that we have a problem with ufo debunkers they're trying to rewrite history basically here with fault and they're using false information that's what's going on when you look at the the changes that they just made, the the, re, the the newly revised version of that little article on Wikipedia, and that's only one little article about a UFO book, and that that was written by a uh, the the. The, the director of Project Blue Book, the former director of Project Blue Book. I mean, that's just one little uh, grain of sand in, 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 a, in, a, in a giant beach that, that, that's, that I put changes in, but you see what they're doing. And now, I was going to go in, I was very angry about this, right? I was extreme, when, I, when this happened, when I saw that today, I was angry about it, I was going to go in, and I have the ability to revert it back to what I had. I have that ability. But after I, con uh, I consulted with Rob Heatherly of Military Witnesses, the UAP, and he told me, don't do it, because if I do it, they have the ability, this group has the ability to kick me out, to boot me off as, a, as an editor at Wikipedia. And I don't think I want to, I guess I, at first I was thinking to myself, you know what, I don't, I don't care. I want to go in and do the right thing. He's, he's allowing false information in here, Lucky Louie, whoever he is, right? And I, I, 
I didn't care. I was going to do it, but I, I changed my mind. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to let it simmer. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to talk about it on my next podcast. And that's what I'm doing right now. I'm just talking about it. And I'm I'm very still angry about it. I don't like the idea that I know that there's false information in that article. Uh, but there's nothing I, if I do it, there's always the possibility that they'll, uh, have me banned, uh, according to Rob Heatherly, as we all know, Rob Heatherly is the one who, uh, has been talking about this, uh, recently on a lot of different podcasts. He, he's done the research into this and he has shown that, uh, there's this cabal. They actually call themselves a cabal of, uh, skeptics and debunkers who have joined forces and they're, they, they're, they're, they have infiltrated Wikipedia. They've been there according to Rob. Uh, they've, they've been established in there since almost for almost 20 years now, apparently. And uh, it's hard to combat them. It's hard, you know, if, if, if they don't like it, certain information, they're going to keep it out. It's like it's like uh, what uh, uh, Stan Friedman said. And it's exactly what Stan Friedman says. This, uh, Friedman, in, his, in many of his publications, and this is taken from Captured, the Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience, he talks about the bunkers. Uh, he's all different kinds of lists when he talks about the bunkers. This list here is the uh, the the four basic rules of debunkerdom. Number one, what the public doesn't know, I am not going to tell them. Number two, don't bother me with the facts my mind is made up. Number three, if one can't attack the data, ignore it and attack the people instead. And four, do one's research by proclamation. Investigation is too much trouble and most scientists and journalists won't know the difference anyway. Yeah, it's it makes you very angry that that, that this is happening it was it was happening throughout the uh, lifetime of Stanton Friedman and it's going to continue to happen until we get uh, some kind of disclosure finally one way or another whether it's from the extraterrestrials themselves or from the government officials the the secret control group that is responsible uh, for this cover-up until we get there we're, we're gonna have to deal with these morons i i, I don't even know what the, I, I think we need to come up with a new name for it uh, how about a moronosity that's what we're dealing with here a, a level of unbridled moronosity uh and uh, i guess i i, I, I it's a shame we can't change wikipedia actually you know I, there's people in my family who contribute to wikipedia they like wikipedia you know what I'm going to have a talk with them. I'm going to start talking to everybody. Don't contribute. Don't give Wikipedia any more money. If this is how they're going to handle things, we can't even, we can't change uh, falsehoods to facts in there. Then what's the point? I mean, these were minor alterations that I made to the story. It's still anybody reading it. It's not going to, it doesn't really change anything. It doesn't change much. I just changed a little bit there. They, but they want their viewpoints to be, uh, they want people to share their viewpoints totally. They don't want any other information in there. They'll, they'll, they'll put uh, comments and, and uh, from debunkers like the late Philip Class that they, they take center stage in a lot of these UFO and extraterrestrial stories and, and the stuff from Stanton Friedman uh, and all these other people all these other researchers over the years is usually completely absolutely absent i mean it's like that uh, ridiculous book that i just reviewed by garrett graff uh, his new ufo book i mean he didn't even uh, resort to refer to uh uh Stanton Friedman's book about Majestic 12, he didn't even talk about it in his whole chapter devoted to Majestic 12. I mean, it's incredible. These debunkers don't want to do it. And here's the deal. As as someone who knows that there's an extraterrestrial presence here, based on the experiences I had, it it's it angers you so much when you hear these debunkers out there in the world uh you know, saying things, trying to make make it a sound goofy, try to say it's all there's not enough evidence, even though there's tens of thousands of people who have had encounters with UFOs and or extraterrestrials over the years. It drives you nuts. 
Uh, I you feel the anger. Like I was watching a, a an old CNN uh, interview. Uh, they had a show, uh, an old Larry King lying live episode that was uh, that was televised on July eighteenth, two thousand and eight, uh, and. Uh, Dr. Bob Jacobs came on talking about his experience uh, from 1964. I want you to check out this quick uh, clip and hear what Bob Jacobs had to say at that point. I was officer in charge of optical instrumentation at Vandenberg Air Force Base from 1963 to 66. Our job was to photograph. That's California, so right there on the coast. And our job was to photograph with high-speed instrumentation every missile launch from, from, from Vandenberg going down the test range. Uh, they wanted to find out if we could figure out a place to put a telescope where we could get a side view of, of the missile so that we could see all three stages of powered flight. So I went up to Big Sur, California, up on, an air, on a uh, U.S. Forest Service road on Anderson Peak, and I installed a, a telescopic site up there. Uh, the Air Force flew in a, a huge catadoptic telescope from uh, the Cape. It was built uh, by uh, Dr. Walter Manning at, at the Boston University. They put the t- telescope up there. And with that thing, with, which had a, a focal length of 2,500 inches, we photographed an Atlas missile raising up out of the, the, the fog cover and flying downrange. We got all three stages of powered flight. And as the uh, dummy warhead and the, and the package flew on down range, we were all celebrating the fact that we had uh, seen the thing and accomplished the mission. When I got, got back to the, the base with the film the next day, I was called into the office of Major Florence J. Mansman. And uh, there were three people in gray suits standing in there. There was a 16-millimeter camera and a screen set up. Major Mansman said, Lieutenant, sit down and watch this. And he turned down the lights, turned on the camera, on the, the projector, and the film came on. And I recognized it as the film that we'd shot at Big Sur the previous day. Toward the end of the, of the flight, I was looking at Major Mansman saying, pretty good stuff, huh, sir? And, and uh, suddenly he said, just watch this. And as I watched, the, the, the warhead, the dummy warhead, the chaff that was put out in front of it as a decoy uh, to, to deflect uh, the Russian anti-missile missile tracking radar. Everything was flying along, and suddenly, in the same direction, this stuff was flying at about 8,000 miles an hour. You- an object came into the frame, shot a, a beam of light at the warhead, flew up to the top, shot another beam of light at the warhead, flew around the direction it was flying, shot another beam of light at the warhead, flew down, shoot another beam of light at the warhead, and flew out the same way it came in. Well, I don't see Why didn't you see this when you were shooting it? Well, it was uh, six to eight hundred miles away from us. Oh, I got you. And they confiscated, they confiscated. Well, first of all, the major mansman said to me, what was that? Were you guys screwing around up there? I said, no, sir. <laughs> and he said, then tell me what that was. And I said, we got a UFO. And he said, Lieutenant, you are never to speak of this again. As far as you're concerned, this didn't happen. So there you go. Bob Jacobs had this incident. You know, he, he, he was part of this. He was told to shut up and not talk about it. Now, later on in the show, they bring on a panel of other uh, experts, right, uh, including uh, uh, Robert Solis, who who was one of the witnesses at, in Montana in 1967 when a UFO showed up, showed up and uh, shut down, basically deactivated uh, a whole bunch of about a dozen nuclear we- uh, weapons. Uh, nuclear whip missiles uh but 
Bill Nye, the science guy, was also there. And you, you could see how angry Bob Jacobs gets at Bill Nye, the science guy, because Nye is acting like a complete idiot when it comes to this. I mean, he's a, he's a moron. I don't care how good he is in science, but the, the, the walk around with your eyes, through life with your eyes closed on all of this evidence, all of the testimony from different people, including someone like Bob Jacobs, you can understand. I, I understand completely why Bob Jacobs gets so angry in this little segment. Check it out. Joining our panel is Bill Nye, the science guy. He's a scientist, engineer, best-selling author, and Emmy-winning television personality. He's, by the way, a member of the Skeptic Society and a fellow with the committee. He did right. tell him, and okay. he saw something. And the coincidentally, the missile shut down. Coincidentally, Boeing isn't that a weird coincidence? <laughs> uh, yeah, a bit. I have many times I've flipped a light switch and uh, now, now what you if hear the a same, siren. I mean, what if the same thing happened a week earlier? Only this time, ten missiles go down. A lot of security guards see the UFOs right above the the or five other missile bases. Okay, so on why have we? Cases. Is that a coincidence too? I mean, so you combine 50s, the two, 60s, are those 70s, and 80s. I'm wondering if there well, was over a hundred people. Not, Bill. Well, in science, it's I not wish, evidence. Uh, I wish Edgar Mitchell were here, but in right. any case, coaches in the interest of time, missile forces. In the interest of time, Dr. Jacobs, he takes pictures. He comes back. They call him in. They show him the pictures. I of this saw it. I'm an eyewitness. He saw it. I'm not talking about And they confiscate it. Yeah. Well, not, well I, I wouldn't be surprised. Hello? Well, go ahead. Yeah, you go ahead. I, you mind if I speak, Mr. Comedian? Go ahead. I was there. I was there. I saw the film with my own eyes. I'm not lying. Why would I? I'm a university professor with a PhD and a lot of years of, of good, respectful research. So they, the guys from Officer may not have seen the UFO, but they saw the results of it. I saw the damn thing on film with my own eyes, so don't call me a liar, and you weren't there. I, I was. With all due respect, I'm not calling you a liar. It's just quite a step to say there was a film with remarkable images on it that the CIA confiscated. Which I it's saw and which they did. Yeah, which is quite a step from there to say it was definitely a spacecraft from another civilization. That's the leap it was, that the skeptical it was, community is reluctant to hey, take. Hey, pal, li listen to me. I didn't say it was a, a spaceship from another civilization. I said it was something in the air that we couldn't identify. Therefore, it was an unidentified flying object. It was shaped like two saucers put together with a golf ball on top, and it fired a beam that we assumed was a plasma beam at a dummy warhead and knocked it out of space. Tell me what happened. Tell me who did that. Tell me in 1964 who had that technology, pal. Not us, and not the Russians, and nobody I know of. And nothing. There's okay. nothing in our inventory that could so possibly let's do, do let's that. So do, let's, let's do this other little thought experiment, everybody. Okay, let's say this has been going on since 1967, routinely, right? There's an old joke in broadcasting. Are you going to do this with baking soda and vinegar, Bill? Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're running out of time. <laughs> If you're questioning what he's seen... No, well, I'm questioning his, the conclusion that the technology <clears throat> did not exist in 1964 <laughs> to produce images on film that the CIA would want to confiscate. If I may. Well, in 1964, you were trying to figure out what. In 1964, you were trying to figure out what girls were. I was in the in the service as a, in a scientific capacity. <laughs> so, sir, you can attack so me. Get off your skeptic high horse, pal. Well, it just doesn't... You're attacking it's us. Quite a you're, step. you're the one who's making ad hominem attacks and saying, that's quite a step. You bet it's quite a step. Bob Jacobs' anger here is completely justified. Completely justified. You know, we need... That's it's unfortunate. You know, Larry King, you know, unfortunately he passed away a few years ago. It was his show on CNN when he used to bring those people on having debates about UFOs. That was great. That was great entertainment. That was great fun. I mean, it's a shame we don't really have that kind of stuff happening anymore on these networks. 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is what we're dealing with here. And that's, it gets you angry as someone who knows the truth. I mean, I encountered an extraterrestrial being there was, there's no other explanation. I, I encountered one of these UFOs up close and personalized. It was right there in front of me. I know it. And then you see someone with Bill Nye sitting there with his stupid bow tie on talking like this on TV. And it just, it just, you know, I feel like my head's going to explode. I get so angry. Even looking at this old footage and these people are still acting like this. I mean, here they have all this stuff going on in Congress now. It's even, it's even more obvious now than ever, right? You have all these people, both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats, trying to pass legislation. You have they're they're getting pushback from people in the Pentagon and their puppets. It's obvious that they're covering this covering this up. If they weren't covering it up, why didn't they allow that UAP disclosure act to go through, right? Why didn't they allow that? It's obvious that they're covering up. They they just don't want the truth to be known. Uh, for various reasons, I'm sure. Yeah, and one more thing here I just want to add about this Bill Nye, the science guy. He says, he, he's in, the, you see in the, in the interview, he's there, uh, yeah, uh, it, it's such a leap. It's such a leap to say extraterrestrials. Why is it always such a leap? I mean, again, does this guy look at the stars at night? Doesn't he realize how vast the universe is? Why is it always such a leap to these guys? Why is it so fantastic? There's, it's it shouldn't be this way. It's, it shouldn't be seen that fantastic. Obviously, there's obviously other life out there, and obviously some of it has figured out how to travel deep through space and come here. That's What else does the answer? What else explains what uh, Bob Jacobs was talking about? What else knocked that missile down? It had to be something extraterrestrial. Nobody else in the world had technology like that back then. Well, why are people running around with their heads up their butt like Bill Nye for all this time? Why, why can't they just admit the obvious here at this point? It doesn't make any sense to me. Now, there's one more thing I want to talk about here. There was a, a post on uh, uh, UFO Twitter, uh, actually, yesterday from Mike Colangelo uh, talking about a, a, a statements made by uh, a former political reporter, Brian Bender, on a, on a recent uh, podcast, a recent podcast called High Strange. And uh, here's what Mike Col uh, Colangelo says. He says, The game of telephone. Former Politico reporter Brian Bender thinks that David Grush's claims and everything post-2017 may be the result of broken telephone. He says the former government officials who believe that we have non-human craft and bodies may have fallen victim to a game of telephone because they have never seen the slam dunk evidence themselves and only heard it from others. But Brian Bender is still open to the possibility that the United States government has proof of non-humans hidden somewhere. This is why it's extremely important that we hear from folks with first-hand knowledge who have worked in the program, seen the non-human craft or bodies, if this is all true, this needs to happen. Then we need to see the proof or we can skip the testimony and see the proof first. Both work. Well, let me just stop there. For one thing, I, I'm, sure I, I, I'm sure I talked about this Brian Bender before. I don't know if I was criticizing one of the, an article that he wrote or something he said on Twitter or what. I know I must have because he has, has me blocked on Twitter. Uh, so I don't know what I did. I, I mean, I have almost 500 podcasts now on, on Spotify and I have well over 600 videos on YouTube. So I'm, I'm somewhere on along the line. The guy's name sounds familiar. So I must have, uh, some perceived indiscretion on my part must have occurred in his mind. And that's why I got blocked. But regardless, uh, this is a, this is a 
stupid argument. I just got to point it out. Stupid. If he didn't have me blocked before, he would have me blocked after this, what I'm about to say. This is the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life, that all these people are talking on the telephone and they just con themselves into believing that this is that there's a, that there's a crash retrieval and reverse engineering programs. That is absurd. Absolutely absurd. For one thing, Grush actually, uh, in addition to meeting with about 40 different people who were working in these programs, right? In addition to that, he was provided corroboration through different documentations that he saw with his own eyes. And there's other stuff that he won't even talk about publicly. So how, what's he talking about here? What's he talking about here? And and another thing, it forget about Lou Elizondo and, and David Grush and all of these people we're talking about today that, uh, that are whistleblowers, right? That we could look at as whistleblowers. Be, even before 2017, there was enough evidence out there based on the research of, of, of different uh, UFO investigators like Leonard Stringfield, Stanton Friedman, Ryan Wood, Robert Wood, so many different people. Uh, the, the, the Thomas Carey, Donald Schmidt, Kevin Randall, the list goes on and on. And all of these people were researching this thing. You, we all knew that there was a, a cover-up long ago, well before Lou Elizondo, well before any of these people. It seems like they're focusing on this, like 2017, like these people somehow conned everyone in Congress and to believe in this. It's it's so ridiculous their their statements. These people they need to do more research. They're just they don't do it. I I don't know what their problem is. Again, it's I think they're they they've fallen victim to uh, moronosity. You have to come up with new words to describe these idiots. Uh, and, and anyway, why is this guy so important? I don't understand. Like this, this, these tweets that somehow, like somebody makes a statement, a former uh, writer for Politico who doesn't believe in this stuff, but some for uh, for some reason they, they the comments uh, enjoy some sort of uh, uh, minor vogue all over Twitter X for a few days. It doesn't make any sense to me. Why do we even listen to these morons? Uh, anyway, so there you go. If you didn't block, if you didn't have me blocked before, you definitely would have me blocked now. Yeah, Bender, you're a moron. Yeah, right, that's what you are. That's how I feel. Uh, anyway, moving on, I want to talk about some of the recent polls I conducted on Spotify. I want to catch up on them. Uh, for the episode "Scientists Should Study Animal Reactions to UFOs," I asked. Uh, this question, what is your opinion on potential scientific studies that focus on the effects UFOs have on animals? So far, there's been 40 votes. Uh, three people, or 75%, say it's a waste of time. And 37 people, or 92.5%, say it's definitely worthwhile. Yeah, I, of course I agree with the majority. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure it's probably some... There, there's some people who hate my guts that have been paying attention to me. I know this. Right? I know this for a fact. Uh, and... Uh, I, it seems like uh, they don't want to talk about me publicly. They don't want someone. They, they don't want people to be paying attention to the stuff that I'm saying. They they rather just pretend I don't exist for now. They they they, they they're concerned of the day. Should the th- the things I'm talking about should the podcast that I have. They don't want it. They don't want it to go anywhere. They want it to stay pretty much buried like it is right now. I have what I have like 6,500 uh, followers on on. Uh, on Spotify, and I have uh, about 2,500 uh, 
subscribers on YouTube. It's not that big of a show right now, right? I have a lot of loyal people who listen to me all the time and always give me comments, and I appreciate it very much. They always give me likes. I appreciate that very much. But th these debunkers, some of them know of me, I can assure you, right? But they don't want to ever talk to, talk about me, don't want to mention me because they're afraid because they know when they listen to someone like me, it upsets them because they know I'm speaking the truth and they hate it. They hate the truth and they hate someone like me. Okay, uh, for the episode, The Psychology Behind Deniers of the Extraterrestrial Presence, I asked this question, can you handle the truth about the extraterrestrial presence or would you rather the truth never be disclosed? So far, there are 46 votes. Two people, or 4.3%, say keep it a secret forever, while 44 people, or 95.7%, say tell me everything. Uh, probably a couple of debunkers out there who voted for keep it a secret forever. Probably, uh, uh Brian Bender and Mick West. They don't want this, the truth to come out because then they're going to look like the liars and morons that they really are. Okay. Uh, for the episode, taste the pancakes of extraterrestrials. Uh, by the way, I want to say, you know, you know, that was a play on, I did just the day before I did this episode, I was watching an old, uh, Dracula movie with Christopher Lee and it tastes the blood of Dracula so I decided to call this episode taste the pancakes of extraterrestrials anyway in that episode I asked this question do you believe Joe Simonton's alien pancake story uh 49 votes so far 17 people or 34.7 percent say no while a majority 32 people or 65.3 percent say yes of course, I have, as everyone already knows, I I think that Simonton was telling the truth. I believe in his story, um, but hey, some people don't. Right? It's a crazy story. It's a it's a difficult one to believe. Uh, but I, you know, I, I, in fact, I think the first time I saw this story, when I first time years ago, when I first saw it, I don't. I think I would have said no at that point. It was had it, you had to look at it again. I had to read about it again. Uh, when you read about it and you get all the details and, and you see, and you look at that film again, that old film that I showed on there, that guy seemed like he was sincere to me. He was not, he didn't show any signs of, of, of being a deceiver in there. If you had a, one of these people who are experts at body language looking at that, I think that they would agree that this guy was, uh, being truthful. Uh, that's, that's my opinion. I didn't notice. I, there's some shows I watch out there. There's a show called, uh, the behavior panel, which is four experts at body language who uh, they break down uh, people. Are they telling the truth? Are they lying? I think if you put that on there and those guys looked at it, I think that they would come. That doesn't make me right. I could be wrong. They're the experts, right? But I think that they would come to the conclusion that Joe Simonton was being truthful uh, during that interview. He did not look like he was uh, using... Uh, being deceptive in any in any shape or form I, I just you just don't see that the signs are not there the signs that these experts usually talk about you know that they tell you to look for uh, they weren't there but anyway uh i want to say again i want to remind people yes please uh you know i i please like the videos if you like what i'm doing please like them on spotify you could like my channel i if you're on using the app on your phone i would appreciate that if you if you like the channel give me a, a good rating on there that would that would be appreciated and uh if you're on youtube please hit the like button on there that's and so don't forget to subscribe i really appreciate it and i also want to thank all the people recently who have uh, made some contributions uh, to my channel i do appreciate that as well i want to say uh thank you for joining me until next time